Chapter One of the Castle of the Carpathians. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Joe Denoya, Somerset, New Jersey. The Castle of the Carpathians by Jules Verne. Chapter One. This story is not fantastic. It is merely romantic. Are we to conclude that it is not true? Its unreality being granted, that would be a mistake. We live in times where everything can happen. We might almost say everything has happened. If our story does not seem to be true today, it may seem so tomorrow, thanks to the resources of science, which are the wealth of the future. No one would think of classing it as legendary. Besides, one does not invent legends at the close of this practical and positive nineteenth century. Neither in Brittany, the country of the ferocious Corrigans, nor in Scotland, the land of the Brownies and Gnomes, nor in Norway, the land of Azes, Elfs, Sylphs, and Valkyries nor even in Transylvania, where the Carpathian scenery lends itself so naturally to every psychagogic evocation. But at the same time, it is as well to note that Transylvania is still much attached to the superstitions of early ages. These provinces of furthest Europe, Monsieur de Hirondo has described them, Monsieur Elise Recluse has visited them. Neither have said anything of the strange story on which this romance is founded. Did they know of it? Perhaps. But they did not wish to add to the belief in it. We are sorry for it for if they had related it, one would have done so with the precision of the annalist, and the other with that instinctive poetry with which all his tales of travels are imbued. But as neither of them told it, I will try to do so for them. On the twenty-ninth of May, a shepherd was watching his flock on the edge of the green plateau at the foot of Retezat, which dominates a fertile valley, thickly wooded with straight-stemmed trees, and enriched with cultivation. This elevated plateau, open, unsheltered, the northwest winds sweep during the winter as closely as the barber's razor. It is said in the country that they shave it, and they do so, almost. This shepherd had nothing Arcadian in his costume, nor bucolic in his attitude. He was neither Daphnis, nor Amentus, nor Teterus, nor Lycidas, nor Malibos. The Linian did not murmur at his feet, which were encased in thick wooden shoes. It was only the Wallachian sill whose clear pastoral waters were worthy of flowing through the meanderings of the romance of Astria. Frick, Frick of the village of Worst, such was the name of this rustic shepherd, was as roughly clothed as a sheep, but quite well enough for the whole at the entrance of the village where sheep and pigs lived in a state of revolting filth. The Imanum Pecus fed then under the care of said Frick, Imani, or Eeps. Stretched on a hillcock carpeted with grass, he slept with one eye open, his big pipe in his mouth, and now and then he gave a shrill whistle to his dogs when some sheep strayed away from the pasturage, or else he gave a more powerful blast which awoke the multiple echoes of the mountain. It was four o'clock in the afternoon, the sun was sinking toward the horizon. A few summits whose bases were bathed in floating mists were standing out clear in the east. Toward the southwest, two breaks in the chain allowed a slanting column of rays to enter the ring like a luminous jet passing through a half-open door. This orographic system belongs to the wildest part of Transylvania, known as the county of Klausenburg, or Kolosvar. A curious fragment of the Austrian Empire is this Transylvania, Erdelay in Magyar, which means the country of the forests. It is bounded by Hungary on the north, Molokia on the south, Moldavia on the west, extending over 60,000 square kilometers, about six millions of hectares, nearly the ninth of France. It is a kind of Switzerland, but half as large again, and no more populous. With its tablelands under cultivation, its luxuriant pasturages, its capriciously carved valleys, its frowning summits, Transylvania, streaked by the plutonic ramifications of the Carpathians, is furrowed by numerous watercourses flowing to swell the Tice and the superb Danube. 
the iron gates of which a few miles to the south closed the defile of the balkan chain on the frontier of hungary and the ottoman empire such is the ancient country of dacia conquered by trajan in the first century of the christian era the independence it enjoyed under Gianzapoli and his successors up to sixteen ninety nine ended with leopold i who annexed it to austria but such was its political constitution that it remained the common abode of the races which elbow each other but never mingle wallachians or romans hungarians Tsiganes, Zecklers of Moldavia origin, and also Saxons, whose time and circumstances will end by magyarizing to the advantage of Transylvania unity. To which of these types did the shepherd Frick belong? Was he a degenerate descendant of the ancient Dacians? He would not have found it easy to say so, to judge by his tumbled hair, his begrimed face, his bristly beard, his thick eyebrows, like two red-haired bushes, his bluish eyes, bluish or greenish, the humid corners of which were marked with the wrinkles of old age. He must have been sixty-five. You would never have guessed him less. But he was big, hardy, upright under his yellowish cloak, which was not as shaggy as his chest. And a painter would not have lost the chance of sketching him, when he was wearing his grass hat, a true wisp of straw, and resting on his crook as motionless as a rock. Just as the rays penetrated through the break in the west, Frick turned over. His half-closed hand he made into a telescope, as he had already made it into a speaking trumpet, to make his voice heard at a distance, and he looked through it attentively. In the clear of the horizon, a good mile away, lay a group of buildings, with their outlines much softened by the distance. This old castle occupied on an isolated shoulder of the Vulcan range the upper part of a tableland called the Orgel Plateau. In the bright light the castle stood out with the clearness displayed in stereoscopic views. But, nevertheless, the shepherd's eye must have been endowed with great power of vision to be able to make out any detail in that distant mass. Suddenly he exclaimed, as he shook his head, Old castle! Old castle! you may well stand firm on your foundation three years more and you will have ceased to exist for your beech tree has only three branches left this beech tree planted at the extremity of one of the bastions of the enclosure stood out black against the sky and would have been almost invisible at that distance to anyone else than frick the explanation of the shepherd's words which were caused by a legend relative to the castle we will give in due time yes he repeated three branches there were four yesterday but the fourth has fallen during the night i can only count three at the fork no more than three old castle no more than three if we attack a shepherd on his ideal side the imagination readily takes him for a dreamy contemplative being he converses with the planets he confers with the stars he reads in the skies in reality he is generally a stupid ignorant brute but public credulity easily credits him with supernatural gifts he practices sorcery according to his humor he can call up good fortune or bad and scatter it among man and beast or what comes to the same thing he sells sympathetic powders, and you can buy from him filtrous and formulas. Can he not make the furrows barren by throwing into them enchanted stones? Can he not make sheep sterile by merely casting on them the evil eye? These superstitions are of all times and all countries. Even in the most civilized lands, one will never meet a shepherd without giving him some friendly word, some significant greeting, saluting him by the name of pastor to which he clings. A touch of the hat affords an escape from malign influences and on the roads of Transylvania it is no more omitted than elsewhere. Frick, then, was regarded as a sorcerer, a caller-up of apparitions. According to him, the vampires and strategists obey him. If you were to believe him, these were to be met with at the setting of the moon, as on dark nights in other countries you see the great Bissex astride on the arms of the mill, talking with the wolves or dreaming in the starlight. Frick profited by all this. He sold charms and counter-charms, but, be it noted, he was as credulous as his believers. If he did not believe in his own witchcraft, he believed in the legends of his country. 
there is nothing surprising therefore in his prophecy regarding the approaching disappearance of the old castle now that the beach was reduced to three branches or is at once setting out to bear the news to worst after mustering his flock by bellowing loudly through a long trumpet of white wood he took the road to the village his dogs followed him hurrying on the sheep as they did so two mongrel demigriffins snarling and ferocious who seemed fitter to eat the sheep than to guard them he had a hundred rams and ewes a dozen yearlings the rest three and four years old the flock belonged to the judge of worst the bureau colts who paid the commune a large sum for pasturage and who thought a good deal of his shepherd frick knowing him to be a skilful shearer and well acquainted with the treatment of such maladies as thrush giddiness fluke rot foot rot and other cattle ailments the flock moved in a compact mass the bellwether at the head making the bell heard above the bleeding as he left the pasturage frick took a wide footpath bordered by spacious fields in which waved magnificent ears of corn very long in the straw and high on the stalk and several plantations of cuckoo-routes which is the maze of the country the road led to the edge of a forest of firs and spruces fresh and gloomy beneath their branches lower down the sill flowed along its luminous course filtering through the pebbles in its bed and bearing the logs of wood from the sawmills upstream dogs and sheep stopped on the right bank of the river and began to drink greedily pushing the reeds aside to do so worst was not more than three gunshots away beyond a thick plantation of willows formed of well-grown trees and not of stunted pollards which only grow bushy for a few feet above their roots these willows stretched away up to vulcan hill of which the village of the same name occupied a projection on the southern slope of the Plesot range the fields were now deserted it is only a nightfall that the laborers return home and frick as he went along had no traditional good night to exchange when his flock had satisfied their thirst he was about to enter the fold of the valley when a man appeared at the bend of the sill some fifty yards downstream hello friend said he to the shepherd he was one of those peddlers who traveled from market to market in the district they are to be met with in the towns and all the villages in making themselves understood that they have no difficulty for they speak all languages was this one an italian a saxon or a wallachi no one could say but he was unmistakably a jew tall thin hook-nosed with a pointed beard a prominent forehead and keen glittering eyes this peddler dealt in telescopes thermometers barometers and small clocks what he did not carry in the bag strongly strapped over his shoulder he hung from his neck and his belt so that he was quite a traveling stall probably this jew had the usual respect for shepherds and the salutary fear they inspire he took frick by the hand then in the roman language which is a mixture of latin and slave he said with a foreign accent are you getting on all right friend yes considering the weather replied frick then you must be doing well today, for the weather is beautiful and i shall not be doing well tomorrow, for it will rain it will rain said the peddler then it rains without clouds in your country the clouds will come tonight, and from yonder the bad side of the mountain how do you know that by the wool of my sheep which is harsh and dry as tanned leather then it will be all the worse for those who are on a long journey and all the better for those who stay near home then you have a home shepherd have you any children said frick no are you married no and frick asked this because in this country it is the custom to do so of those you meet he continued where do you come from peddler from hermannstadt hermannstadt is one of the principal villages of transylvania on leaving it you find the valley of the hungarian sill which flows down to the town of petrosany and you are going to kolosvar to reach kolosvar you have to ascend the valley of the maros and then by Karlsburg, along the lower slopes of the bihar mountains you reach the capital of the country it is a walk of twenty miles only 
these vendors of thermometers barometers and cheap jewelry always seem to be a peculiar people and somewhat hoffmanesque in their bearing it is part of their trade they sell time and weather in all forms the time which flies the weather which is and the weather which will be just as other packmen sell baskets and drapery they are commercial travelers from the house of saturn and co on the sign of the golden shoe and doubtless this was the effect the jew produced on freck who gazed not without astonishment at this display of things which were new to him the use of which he did not know i say peddler said he outstretching his arm what is the use of all this trumpery which rattles at your belt like a lot of old bones these things are valuable said the peddler they are of use to everybody to everybody said frick winking his eye even the shepherds even the shepherds what is the use of this machine this machine answered the jew putting a thermometer into his hands will tell you if it is hot or cold ah friend i can tell you that when i'm sweating under my tunic or shivering under my overcoat evidently that was enough for a shepherd who did not trouble himself about the wherefore of science and this big watch with the needle continued he pointing to an aneroid that is not a watch but an instrument which will tell you if it'll be fine tomorrow or if it will rain really really good said frick i don't want that even if it costs a kreutzer i have only to look at the clouds trailing along the mountains or racing over the higher peaks and i can tell you what the weather will be a day in advance look do you see that mist which seems to rise from the ground well i tell you it means water for tomorrow and in fact the shepherd who was a great observer of the weather could do very well without a barometer i will not ask you if you want a clock continued the peddler a clock i have one which goes by itself and hangs over my head that is the sun up there look you friend when it is over the peak of ruddock it is noon when it looks at me across the gap of egelt it is six o'clock my sheep know it as well as i do and my dogs know it as well as my sheep you can keep your clocks then said the peddler if my only customers were shepherds i should have hard work to make a fortune and so you want nothing nothing at all besides which all these low-priced goods were of very poor workmanship the barometers never agreed as to its being changeable weather or fair the clock hands made the hours too long or the minutes too short in fact they were pure rubbish the shepherd suspected this perhaps and did not care to become a buyer but just as he was taking up his stick again he caught sight of a sort of tube hanging from the peddler's strap and what do you do with that tube that tube is not a tube is it a blunderbuss no said the jew it is a telescope it was one of those common telescopes which magnify the objects five or six times or bring them as near which produces the same result frick unhooked the instrument he looked at it he handled it and opened and shut it then he shook his head a telescope he asked yes shepherd and a good one and one that will make you see a long way off oh i have good eyes my friend when the air is clear i can see the rocks on top of the retziats and the farthest trees in the vulcan valleys without winking without winking it is the dew which makes me do that and my sleeping from night to morning under the starlit sky that is the sort of thing to keep your pupils clean what the dew said the peddler it might perhaps make the blot not the shepherds quite so but if you have good eyes mine are better when i get them at the end of that telescope that remains to be seen put yours to it now mine try will that cost me anything asked frick suspiciously nothing at all unless you buy the machine being reassured on this point frick took the telescope the tubes of which were adjusted by the peddler shutting his left eye as directed he applied his right eye to the eyepiece at first he looked towards vulcan hill and then up towards plaza that done he lowered the instrument and brought it to bear on the village of verst ah ah he said perhaps you are right it does carry farther than my eyes there is the main road i recognize the people there is nick deck the forester coming home with his haversack on his back and his gun over his shoulder 
I told you so, said the peddler. Yes, yes, that really is Nick, said the shepherd. And who was the girl who was coming out of Colts's house, with the red petticoat and the black bodice, as if to get in front of him? Keep on looking, shepherd. You will soon recognize the girl, as you did the young man. Ah, yes. It is Miriota, the lovely Miriota. Ah, the lovers, the lovers. This time I have got them at the end of my tube, and I shall not lose one of their little goings-on. What do you say to the telescope? Eh? It does make you see far. As Frick was looking through a telescope for the first time, it followed that verse was one of the most backwards villages of the country of Klausenberg, and that this was so, we shall soon see. Come, shepherd, continued the peddler, look again, look further than worst. The village is too near us, look beyond, farther beyond, I tell you. Shall I have to pay any more? No more. Good. I will look towards the Hungarian sill. Yes. There is the clock tower I live in Zell. I recognize it by the cross which has lost one arm. And, beyond, in the valley, among the pines, I see the spire of Petrosny, with its weathercock of zinc with the open beak as if it were calling its chickens. And, beyond, there is that tower pointing up amidst the trees. But I suppose, peddler, it is all at the same price? All the same price, shepherd. Frick turned the telescope toward the plateau of Orgal. Then, with it, he followed the curtain of forests darkening the slopes of Plesa, and the field of the objective framed the distant outline of the village. Yes, he exclaimed, the fourth branch is on the ground. I had seen it all right, and no one will get it to make a torch out of it for the night of St. John's. Nobody, not even me. It would be to risk both body and soul. But do not trouble yourself about it. There is one who knows how to gather it tonight, for his infernal fire, and that is the chort. The chort being the devil when he is invoked in the language of the country. Perhaps the Jew might have demanded an explanation of these incomprehensible words, as he was not a native of the village of Worst or its environs had not Frick exclaimed in a voice of terror mingled with surprise. What is that mist escaping from the dungeon? Is it a mist? No. One would say it was a smoke. It is not possible. For hundreds and hundreds of years no smoke had come from the chimney of the castle. If you see a smoke over there, Shepherd, there is a smoke. No, peddler, no. It is the glass of your machine which is misty. Clean it. And when I have cleaned it? Frick shifted the telescope, and having rubbed the glasses, he replaced it at his eye. It was undoubtedly a smoke streaming from the upper part of the dungeon. It mounted high in the air and mingled with the highest vapors. Frick remained motionless and silent. All his attention was concentrated on the castle, from which the rising shadow began to touch the level of the plateau of Orgal. Suddenly he lowered the telescope, and thrusting his hand into the pouch he wore under his frock, he said, How much do you want for your tube? A florin and a half, said the peddler and he would have sold the telescope for a florin if Frick had shown any desire to bargain for it. But the shepherd said not a word. Evidently, under the influence of an astonishment, as sudden as it was inexplicable, he plunged his hand to the bottom of his wallet and drew out the money. Are you buying the telescope for yourself? asked Peddler. No, for my master. And he will pay you back? Yes, the two florins it cost me. What? The two florins? Eh, certainly. That and no less. Good evening, my friend. Good evening, shepherd and Frick, whistling his dogs and urging on his flock, struck off rapidly in the direction of Erst. The Jew, looking at him as he went, shook his head as if he had been doing a trade with a madman. If I had known that, he murmured, I should have charged him more for the telescope. Then he adjusted his burden of his belt and shoulders and resumed his journey to Carlsberg, along the right bank of the sill. Where did he go? It matters little. He passed out of the story. We shall meet with him no more. End of chapter 1